during the week, this week, just checking things out on the flooring and everything and just sniffing in really good. So I only have a few brain cells left. It's okay. Uh, thanks. See, I asked James. I said, James, I'm going to tell some stupid jokes and say some really dumb things, so please laugh because no one else will. So I appreciate James. And I appreciate the design you came up with in the, the entryway there. That was awesome. Uh, we're looking at Galatians chapter 2, so check that out. Uh, I did want to mention... Uh, how fortunate you guys are to have, uh, I know these guys don't do this for that, but a great worship band. Uh, I, these guys were up till like 2 o'clock this morning up here helping us get the stage back together and then practicing after that. And uh, So don't take them for granted. You only have a little bit of time left with them. And there's a lot of youth ministries that would chill to have a worship band like this. So Some of you guys, I, I was watching in the back, and some of you guys look like, you're so dead when they're up there playing. And they don't play for you, so they don't really care. So they're playing for God anyway. But it's like, wow, you guys really don't know what you have here. It's, it's unbelievable. So I would have killed to have a band like this growing up when I was in high school. So enjoy it. Please enjoy it. I mean, even if you're jumping inside, you know, just, just show some expression. Uh, that's just a little commercial for the band. And, um, they wrote a check out to me, so it was great. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 11. Uh, the background, we've been looking at this, I guess Dave's been looking at this for a few weeks in Galatians. The naked gospel, he has something with that uh, title, I don't know what's going on there, but uh, he, I guess he likes to be naked. But uh, Peter, Peter is the apostle to the Jews. Paul is to the Gentiles that they're designated to one certain people group. That's what they would have been called. But they're all, they, they kind of intermingled, intertwined there, and they visited each other. Paul had visited Peter in Jerusalem uh, and was welcomed there. Paul came to see Peter in, on his stomping ground, so to speak, and he was welcomed with open arms. And then Peter came to Antioch uh, to visit Paul. Uh, and there was a, a confrontation that took place. And anybody in here like confrontation? Anybody like confrontation? Like, what's confrontation? Anybody like arguments? I know some of you like really like arguing with your teachers. None of you do that, right? I used to love that. And one of my teachers said I should have been a lawyer because I just loved arguing, especially when you know they thought I was wrong. So, uh, arguments, confrontation. Paul really has to basically let Peter, uh, let Peter have it here in this passage. And it's an interesting passage, and it's pretty, pretty exciting to read. Sometimes when you're reading God's Word, uh, I'm reading through the Bible, and you get into Numbers and Chronicles and things like that, you really have to work hard at figuring out what's happening, what's being said. But here it's, it's pretty interesting and pretty exciting uh, what happens if you like, you know, arguments and confrontation and things like that. If you don't like confrontation, then you'll probably be kind of, you know, sad when you read this passage. But uh, uh, So you have Peter in Galatians chapter 2. Let's look at verse 11. Uh, you have a surface problem here in chapter 2. He says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This is Paul speaking. Because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. And I think he covered some 
aspect of circumcision. <laughs> Dave had a circumcision lesson last week or something like that. Uh, verse 13, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So there's uh, an interesting dynamic happening here. If you can imagine a cafeteria, uh, like maybe back in the New Testament they had cafeterias. Just imagine that. And imagine them all kind of getting together and eating together. So here's Peter, here's Paul, here's some Gentiles who are all eating together. Because remember, Peter, the Jew, is coming to visit Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. So here comes Peter, Mr. Jew, in to hang out with the Gentiles. And guess what he does? Let's say uh, the Gentiles are over here. These are all the Gentiles. And uh, these are kind of the in-between people. They really don't know who they are. And here's the Jews. Uh, Peter... Being a devout Jew is also kind of mingling, hanging out, everything's cool. And this was like crazy to think about doing this back then. For you to mix in as a Jew with a Gentile, that was forbidden, according to Jewish law, for someone to really associate. Now, you even have stories in the Bible where people like walked on the other side of the road. They actually, when it was, you guys are the Samaritans, I guess, because you're like the inbred people. Uh, because like the Samaritans, uh, the Samaritans actually, people would go all the way out of their way, day's journey, to go out of the way so they wouldn't encounter any Samaritans. So they were like the people that were way out there. But the Gentiles and the Jews never really got together. So Peter comes over, he's hanging out in this cafeteria, so to speak, with the kind of outcast of his Jewish people. And so I, I was trying to think of a good clip for this uh, to kind of illustrate it. And nothing is better than a Napoleon Dynamite clip. Uh, so let's check that out and uh, see what Napoleon and Pedro had to deal with. Has Summer said anything to you yet? No, not yet. Well, she said no. She did? What about that other girl? What other girl? The one that left all that crap on your porch. You mean Deb? Yes, sir. Well, what about her? Well, I asked her too. What? with me. Have you asked anybody yet? No, but who would? Why don't you have any good skills? What do you mean? You know, like nunchuck skills, boat hunting skills, computer hacking skills. Girls only want boyfriends who have great skills. Aren't you pretty good at drawing like animals and warriors and stuff? Yes. Probably the best that I know of. Just draw a picture of the girl you want to take out and give it to her for like a gift or something. That's a pretty good idea. Alright. So that clip has a little bit to do with what we were talking about, but when I was when I was looking through the clips so on wing clips, I, I was like, I gotta play that because I love that movie. But it does have a little bit of what I'm talking about. You got the cafeteria scene and you noticed how many people were sitting with them? 
Uh, none. It was just those two. Those were kind of like, I guess, what the Jews considered the Gentiles to be. Napoleon and Pedro. Okay, sorry guys. But they're cool. They're cool in the end, you know, they get the applause and, uh, after the dance and stuff. But it's like, that's in my weird mind, I guess, I picture the Gentiles, the Jews' mind saying, that's kind of them. They're kind of the dorky people. They're the kind of like the uh, people that don't quite meet up to the standard of society in general. And so they're kind of like the moon boot wearing people and things like that. Uh, so Peter here is hanging out, and he's cool with that. He's cool with having lunch with Pedro and Napoleon and, and the rest of the, of the crowd here. And he's fine until, until some visitors come. It's interesting what happens. I know none of this ever goes on in high school, like the cafeteria, the cool crowd, and, and the not-so-cool crowd. They, they always get together, right, and eat together? Okay. Uh, so it's interesting what happens Peter doesn't all of a sudden, okay, we say these three are like the Jewish guys visiting, the, the guys from James in the passage from the circumcision group. Uh, they come in, yeah, you guys are the circumcision group. Uh, so they come in, these devout Jews, and they walk in, and Peter's like looking out of the corner of his eye, oh, oh, I didn't know you guys were coming. I'm not really eating, with, I'm just passing through, I'm just talking to him. And he kind of starts to gradually, the text, if you look into the Greek, actually says he's gradually withdrawing. It wasn't like all of a sudden he's like, oh, crap, here's the circumcision, i got to run. No, it was like a slow, gradual thing, kind of like, okay, I was kind of sitting amongst you guys, and now I'm kind of, you guys okay? And i kind of slowly moving away. And so Peter's like self-conscious all of a sudden on who he's eating with. And he's embarrassed almost to say that he's eating with these people over here that weren't up to the standard that the Jews held. Especially when his friends came to visit town and to see what was happening. So Paul obviously has a very big issue with this. If you look at uh, verse uh, 11, it says, I opposed him face to face, to his face, because he was clearly in the wrong. What, What do you think caused Peter to withdraw what was going on there that caused him to withdraw anybody throw it throw a word out there what are some things that caused him to withdraw was that pressure what else anything just pressure he was more comfortable with his buddies you know because he was used to their standard anybody else was that pride yeah, pride. I'm not going to be seen with these people. Uh, is that fear? You got some fear going on, embarrassment, things like that. You know, what would people think? What would people think of me? Anybody ever experienced that? Again, going back to the lunchroom, but in different pictures of society that you live in in high school here. What would people think if they saw me talking to this person? What would people say? They say, like, I'm hanging out with these, this group of people. What would they say about me? What would they do? And Peter obviously had this issue. Why do you think Paul felt it necessarily to do this publicly, to rebuke him publicly? Anybody have any idea? Why would Paul do this? Why wouldn't he just pull him aside into, like, a side room and say, Hey, buddy, uh, I know we're friends. Why did he do this in public? That's good, yeah. You can come up here and teach. Uh, yeah, it was a big problem. 
in that society. And so not only was it a big problem overall that the Jews and the Gentiles were not associating together, the Jews were putting a lot of pressure on the Gentiles to live Jewish culture and Jewish tradition. And they were putting pressure on them to do that. And so you had some issues coming up. But not only that, but also Peter was doing this publicly. So Peter, as a leader, was leading other people into this sin as well. So when sin is done in public, and someone is sinning like that in public, then Paul felt it necessary to show everybody, look, this is not right. We have to put an end to this publicly and not just take care of it on the side. They didn't have YouTube and stuff like that back then where they could post a statement that says, Paul, Paul posting a statement on YouTube, Peter and I talked, we talked about his problems, you know, eating with Gentiles and pulling away, and we took everything, everything's okay now. We couldn't, they couldn't publish things like that. So he had to handle it in a way that was public so that he could see and say, look, here's the problem. I'm confronting you to, to your face. And I think Peter appreciated that more too even though it hurt to begin with. But it's not just the surface problem of hypocrisy. You girls got something to share? Uh, I mean, if you do, just let me know. Uh, But I'm just kidding. Uh, So it's not just hypocrisy, right? It's not just this surface issue that we're dealing with of Peter being a big hypocrite. There's a deeper problem here that we're looking at in the text. If you look at verse 14, look at verse 14 in Galatians 2. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? It's kind of a confusing thing there. Basically he's saying, look, you're a Jew, but you can live like a Gentile because Jesus died on the cross and made you not have to live according to the law anymore. So why are you trying to force these Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter was free. He felt okay with it, but he's trying to force these people to live like these people. And it wasn't right. And it was a standard that they couldn't live up to, and it was a standard Peter could never live up to either. So he's trying to force them to live like Jews. Why do you think Peter's response to Paul wasn't recorded? In Scripture? May not have been a response. Maybe his jaw just dropped. Oh, wow. I just got called out in public. <laughs> I feel like an idiot. Oh, no. I, I don't know. There's really no, uh, there's no right answer. There's no commentary that has some inner you know, insight into why Peter, uh, why his response wasn't recorded. But Paul continued in verse 15 and 16. He didn't just stop there. Look at verse 15 and 16. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. You notice what he, uh, he transitions into talking to Peter? And then he includes we in the topic in the next two verses. So first he's saying, look, i got a problem with you. 
You were eating with these people and then you started to withdraw because you were embarrassed, you were fearful, you were prideful, whatever it is. But then Paul starts to speak to everybody. Because they all, like Garrett was saying, they all were struggling with this. They all were struggling with, oh, is someone going to see me actually eating with a Gentile, dirty, rotten sinner? Is someone going to see me even mingling in, even looking at a Samaritan or walking near a Samaritan. And it was this Jewish idea that we were like the elite people, and you guys are kind of like along for the ride. Jesus died for you too, but you're not quite that special. And so it was uh, an interesting thing what happens here. But he uses the word justification, and I think uh, a commentary I read actually says that this is the first time it was used in this gospel, this word justification. Not in the Bible, but in this gospel. Justification means to declare righteous. And you are being declared righteous not by what you do. Some of you in here, you suffer from being oppressed. Not what you would think, what I'm talking about, but oppressed by like your parents, or oppressed by teachers, or oppressed by um, people in authority of you. To live up to a certain standard. I felt that way growing up. I grew up as a, a pastor's kid. And so I felt, in a lot of ways, not pressure that was put on by my parents, but by just the, overli- the underlying kind of idea, oh, you're a pastor's kid. You need to kind of live a little bit above what everyone else does. You know, you've got to be really good. And so I felt this pressure to live according to this weird law that was created for me as a pastor's kid that shouldn't have been put on me and I shouldn't have put on myself. And some of you put pressure on yourself to live up to some standard that's unreachable on your own and unattainable on your own and you live in defeat every day because you feel like such a loser because you can't live up to that standard. You can't meet that standard that God or that you think God is calling you to meet. Romans chapter 3. I think it will be up on the screen here. You can check that out. Romans 3, very popular verse 23. But I want to read the first, the one before it and after it. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Paul wanted everybody to know that it wasn't who you eat with or what you do or what you don't do, but the gospel of Jesus Christ was available to everyone. And a home in heaven is available to everyone, no matter what they do. You can't earn it. It's all based on faith. There's an interesting quote that I found from Martin Luther about 500 years ago. And I found this, and I'm like, i got to put this in here because... I'm just juvenile, that's why I'm the junior high pastor, and it has the word ass in it twice. Uh, And it was just funny, but it's a very good quote, too. So, the Luther quote, listen to what it says, and it's up there, too, I think. If your conscience is oppressed with a sense of sin, talk to your conscience. Say, you are now groveling in the dirt. You are now a laboring ass. Go ahead and carry your burden, but why don't you mount up to heaven? There the law cannot follow you. Leave the ass burden with laws behind in the valley, 
but your conscience, let it ascend with Isaac into the mountain. He's saying, look, you guys that are burdened down like this donkey, laden with burdens and heavy things like bags and this donkey's right, the back's ready to break because you're so burdened with all this stuff, all these laws that are put on you, all this pressure that you feel every day that a lot of you put on yourselves, but maybe your parents put it on you, maybe your teachers put it on you, maybe your pastors put it on you, I don't know. But a lot of times it's self-induced pressure. And he says, you know what? You can go ahead, you can choose to live that way and feel beat down and feel weighed down if you want to. But if you really grasp this passage in Galatians chapter 2, you know what you'll do? You'll leave it all behind. You'll leave that ass burden with these, these things, and you'll leave it behind and say, guess what? I'm leaving these burdens behind. I'm leaving all these laws that I think I have to live up to, these standards. Now, am I just saying here, just forget it all and not live a godly life? That passage is going to come here in a second, and we're going to see what he says. Verse 17 and 18. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it become evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. So the question was then, okay, well, if we don't have to live according to the law, let's go out and party. Let's have a ball and just forget anything that the law says. And Paul wants to make it very clear, and there's an exclamation point in the version that I read. I don't know about yours, but it says, absolutely not. No way. Another version, I think, says, God forbid. We can't do this. We can't just go on living and live and embrace the sin nature. But after salvation, we actually embrace the law so that we can be made more aware of our sin. So the law does something different. Instead of the law beating us down and making us look like really bad people, And horrible failures, because if you try to live according to the law, you will be a horrible failure. But instead, the law changes its course. And what the law does is just reveal to you, you know what? You're a hopeless sinner without Christ. But with Christ, the Bible says, you are more than a conqueror. You can conquer the things that life throws at you and that Satan throws at you. As we wrap it up in verses 19 through 21. Paul goes into kind of a discourse, a pretty popular passage that you might have heard before if you've grown up in the church. But verse 19 says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. You know what I hate? One of the things I hate when people talk about living for Jesus. I hate it, and I used to do this too. Don't get me wrong, I used to say this too. You ever hear someone say, you need to live as an example of Jesus? Why would I hate that? You need to be an example of what Jesus did here on this earth. Saying, Tim, that sounds about right. Why would I say that I hate that? It's impossible. You are not called to live as an example of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? 
You are not called to live as an example. Because there's only one Jesus, there's only one God's Son, and He was the only one who could live that way. There's never been another, and there's never was one before. The awesome thing about this passage is that Christ lives in and through us. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you being able to live Himself out of your fleshly body. It's a crazy uh, concept for an everyday person to grasp. But God, through the Holy Spirit and through His Word, helps us understand that the law requires death for failure to live up to it. Life in God only comes through Christ's death. Romans 7.4 says, So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. We belong to Christ, and Christ died and rose again three days later. We can't do that. It is impossible for us to try to do that. You can try. You can try and go ahead and die. You're not going to come back unless some crazy miracle happens that God brings you back. But the the challenge for us is to understand that we are identified with Christ. Death in Christ ended me on the throne. You see that? Death in Christ. When you align yourself with Jesus Christ, when you accept Christ into your heart and and receive Him and start to live for Him. It is Christ in you. So guess who has to get off the throne? You. Unfortunately, all of us, including myself, as I get older, I still try to take the throne back. The throne of my heart, the throne of my life, oftentimes I'm trying to kick Jesus off. Not consciously, not like telling Jesus, could you move over, I've got to do some things. I don't like to say that because I might get struck with lightning. I don't know. But uh, it's, it's the concept in my mind because I want Jesus to leave me alone for a little while so I can do my thing. But that's not the example that's being given here. That's not the passage. He's saying, look, I'm on the throne now. I have died and rose again so that I can live through you and in you. So the last thing, the question to ask you, I guess, is uh, from verse 20. 21, sorry. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Do your actions show Christ died for nothing? For some of you in here, like me, that have grown up in church, have grown up doing all the things that you're supposed to do or whatever, going to Awana or memorizing your scripture, which are great, you know, things that you learn along the way. Some of you may be living up to a standard or trying to hold yourself to a standard of actions. And you feel like a failure. You feel miserable when you don't meet that standard. When you try to live on your own for God... And try to do it on your own. Basically, you're telling Jesus, your death was worthless. That's what this passage says. Christ died for nothing. If you think you can do it on your own, then Jesus might as well not have even come down to earth to die. When we get to the point, like Alec was saying, when we get to that point to say, it's impossible. I can't do it. 
It must be Christ in me that is living this gospel, that is living this sacrifice. I am a living sacrifice. So if a relationship with God comes from anything else than Christ's death on the Christ, excuse me, Christ's death on the cross, Christ's death was a waste. Don't make Christ's death a waste. Whatever you're going through right now, the burdens that you face, maybe the standards people have set for you, do like Martin Luther said, and leave that donkey behind. Leave that burdened ass behind, okay? Don't just remember this talk because someone said ass on the stage because it's the donkey and it's in the Bible, okay? Remember it because I want to leave that behind. All the burdens that are weighing me down, I want to leave behind and let Christ live through me. I'm going to pray and then we're going to show a video uh, just to kind of wrap this up to help us to understand uh, forgiveness and understand what Jesus did for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the cross. Lord, I know I take it for granted all the time. And I know these young people probably do as well. Lord, right now there's, there's people in this room who are burdened by a lot of different things. And like Peter, maybe they're just living for recognition or living because uh, people are watching everything they do and they're scared or they're prideful or they're just nervous about what somebody might say. I pray for those that struggle with that, that you will release them from that pressure and allow them to see that a life lived for you is the life that you've called them to, Christ living in us. And help us all to see the awesome power that exists within us, which is your Holy Spirit, that we can live for you and we can honor you, not in our own works, but from your Holy Spirit working through us. We praise you for all you've done, and I pray that we will be challenged by what we're about to see. In your name we pray. Amen.